in our studies in John, Encounters with Jesus, we are looking at one of the most famous encounters, Nicodemus, this uh, Jew, Pharisee, teacher, the teacher, uh, a very God, well, I can't say godly, but a very uh, religious, moral man who didn't have a clue, didn't have a clue when it came to Christian things. And Jesus is saying, he doesn't want a religious discussion with him. He cuts through all of that and gets straight to the point. And he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus Bach. You must be born again, mate. Or you're not even going to see the kingdom. And every one of us here, however moral, however religious, however good we may be, Outwardly, you must be born again. Uh, in this great encounter, the two pillars of the Christian faith are found. And so we're going to take time to look at these two. The new birth, which is what we're looking at, and faith in Christ alone. We have asked two questions so far about being born again. Why must I be born again? Well, you must. There's no other way. And then what is it to be born again? It's a work of the Spirit. It's to be twice born. Born from above. It's to have a new nature. A new heart. The Christian life is changed from the inside out. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's being transformed from within. Now, this morning, one more question. How can I be born again? How? How did you make yourself physically born? You didn't. I didn't. You're just aware at some point that you are here. I don't know when your first memory was, but probably uh, one, two years, Seth isn't going to have, maybe he will have a memory of the sermon this morning. Probably not. So we can't make ourselves born again. This is where we ended last Sunday. To come to the place where we realize, I can't do it. I can't save myself. So I'm driven to cry to God, you do it. That's conversion, isn't it? Thou must save, and thou alone. But Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, uses an illustration about being born again, which will help us expand on how are we to be born again. Instead of putting it like that, we should ask, how can I know if I'm born again? I know I can only be saved through what Jesus Christ has done, and I am commanded to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. So that's my responsibility. So how can I know that this life of the Spirit has come. Now, Jesus gives us an illustration. So this is what I want us to look at this morning. Uh, verse 5 
down to verse 8. John 3, verses 5 to 8. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So we looked at those verses last time. Here is the verse for this morning. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone born of the Spirit. So I don't know, this is the middle of the night when Nicodemus came to Jesus. I don't know if at this point in the conversation there was just uh, a breeze, the rustling of the leaves outside, but Jesus suddenly uses this picture of the wind. And it's a very good illustration because if you know your Hebrew and your Greek, you will know that the word in the original Hebrew for spirit is the same as wind, ruach. And it's the same in the Greek. Pneuma is the word for spirit in the Greek, the same for wind. So let's look at the work of the spirits. How can I be born again? How can I know that I'm born again? By using this illustration of the wind. It's not windy this morning, is it? But when it is windy, can you see the wind? You can't see you, you can't see what is the wind. There's a mystery about it. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's a mystery. But what you do see are the marks, the effects of the wind. You see the leaves uh, rustling. Uh, you hear the leaves rustling. Uh, you feel the wind on your face. You hear the wind whistling. So let's look at these two things. How can I be born again? Look at the mystery first. The mystery here of the work of the spirits. Why do I say it's a mystery? You can have two people listening to the same sermon. One is born again and the other isn't affected at all. Isn't that a mystery? So it's the same words that they hear. But the same sermon that has no effect on one and has a profound effect on the other. How do you explain that? I can't explain it. There's a mystery. Now, those of you who are born again here this morning, if we were all to ask one another, how did it happen? There'd be different stories, wouldn't there? There's an element of mystery. Uh, we sang in that hymn, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin. God doesn't work in exactly the same way. God doesn't create stereotypes. It's the cults that do that. When the Spirit is at work, you've got life. And where there's life, there's variety. So, no two conversions are exactly the same. There is something unique about your experience, about my experience. We like to stereotype, don't we? You can't do that. Even in the encounters we've seen so far in John's Gospel, each one has been different. John himself... John the Baptist, Andrew, Simon Peter, Nathaniel, and now Nicodemus. God works 
in a different way in each person. The same Spirit, the same Savior we come to believe in, but different operations. So let's look at some of these mysterious things. There's a mystery of timing, isn't there? When we were born into this world, it was a few months before that when the seed was planted in our mother's womb. Conception. So there's a few months between conception and the giving of birth. I don't think anybody knows at what point they're born again. That's the point of conception, when the new seed, the new heart is put inside of us. It's just like seed planted in the ground. You don't see it. But what you do see is after a while, the green shoots, the life appear, or the mother giving birth. And that's what we normally associate with being converted. So no one here, even those of you who've had a sudden experience of conversion, will be able to tell at what point in time you were born again. There's a mystery there. What we all see is when that life comes and shows itself. So let's look at this timing. Some are born again when they're children. I don't know how many of you here who are true believers, how many of you were saved as children? There was a mysterious work of the Spirit. You would have heard the gospel uh, from your earliest days, and at some points, you were born again. And you may not have been able to pinpoint a day when you were converted, but you just realized that this gospel is your hope and that you have these desires towards Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, you know when he was born again? He was set apart from his mother's womb. There's a mystery here. The majority of people are born again when they're adults. I was born again when I was a student. I'm always encouraged when I see students hearing the gospel. I believe God delights to work in students. Not that there's anything special in you as students, but how many of you were born again when you were a student? And others may have uh, come to church as adults. You may have heard a sermon and that was a work of the Spirit convicting you and showing your, your need of a Savior and you came to faith in Jesus Christ. But the seed might have been planted many months before, even many years before. Can, can you see the mystery here? There's a mystery of timing. And praise God, some are born again when they're elderly. That's why the seniors' lunch is the most important evangelistic work of this church. Because those people are closer to eternity. Then there's another mystery here. There's a mystery of manner. There's a mystery of manner. Some may have a sudden experience, like Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, some may be able to pinpoint the exact, not just day, but the exact time that they were converted. Not born again, but converted. Such people often go through a period of conviction of sin. We call it going through the chasm, the gap of conviction. 
there is a terror in that, and that terror drives such people to the cross. Uh, think of Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress. But not everybody is wrought upon by the Spirit in that way. Others may have as much of a profound work of the Spirit, but it's not a sudden. It might be gradual. It might even be a gentler coming to Jesus Christ. But because this is the Holy Spirit that is working in us, there is still going to be a sense of sin. So we can't dictate to God how he must work. There is a mystery, not just in the timing, but there is a mystery in the manner. I know of some people who I think are genuinely saved, but they don't think they are because they haven't had the Damascus Road experience. Look at Nicodemus here. Was he born again when he came to Jesus and had this conversation? We don't know. He was certainly seeking, wasn't he? Nicodemus here doesn't look very promising. If you compare him to, I don't know, Simon Peter or Judas Iscariot, he doesn't look very promising at all. Judas Iscariot was one of the twelve at this point. But if you know anything of the history of Nicodemus, you will realize that this was a gradual work that was going on in his heart. At first, he was just showing curiosity. But God was working because by John chapter 7, Nicodemus does something amazing. Instead of doing something secretly, he makes a stand in the Jewish council for Jesus Christ. Now, that would have come at great cost to him. He stood up and supported Jesus Christ. And then, towards the end of John's gospel, there is something even more astounding. Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, were the two that arranged the burial of the body of Jesus Christ. When the other disciples, the male disciples, had run away, Nicodemus was now sticking with Jesus Christ. My friends, what I'm trying to say is God works in different ways. You don't have to have a sudden conversion experience to be born again. A gradual work of the Spirit can often be a deeper work. When I think back to my student days when I was converted, there were some who had very spectacular testimony experiences, but they're nowhere now. They're like a sparkler. They're all on fire at first, but then it all dies down. I'd rather be a little spark that keeps on burning. I think Nicodemus was like that. I listened to Bishop Ryle, the good old J.C. Ryle of Liverpool, 19th century bishop. How the Church of England needs somebody like that today. Having no grace because their first steps towards God are timid and wavering. Remember how our Lord received Nicodemus. He did not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax which he saw before him. Like Jesus, let us steal gently and lovingly in everything there must be a beginning <laughs> it is not those who make the most flaming profession of faith which endure it's often those who have small unpromising beginnings when nicodemus was coming out 
after Jesus had been crucified and arranging at great risk to himself his burial, Judas Iscariot, who was so close to Jesus in John 3, was committing suicide, having betrayed his saviour. So there's a mystery. Just as you can't see the wind, there's a mystery. How, how the wind uh, blows. I know we've learnt a lot in recent centuries, but weather forecasting is still a very unpredictable science. You can only forecast accurately five days in advance. So, so it's like that with the wind of the Spirit. But what I'm most interested in this morning is the marks of the wind of the Spirit, the effect that the wind has. So when it's uh, blowing a gale, you can definitely see, can't you, the branches that have fallen down. Uh, I was lifted up uh, off my feet once in uh, the mountains of Snowdonia by a gust of wind. You may not be able to see it, but you can certainly feel the effects. And it's a bit like that when we think of being born again. How can I be born again? You can't make yourself born again, but you can know whether you're born again because you can see the effects. Incidentally, we who are pastors... Uh, it makes it sound very formal that we're interviewing candidates for baptism. But what we try to see are signs of spiritual life. In, in one sense, we don't want to hear a word-perfect testimony. I just want to see, is there spiritual life? Is there spiritual life? What are the signs of the Holy Spirit at work? Remember what Jesus said by their fruits? He shall know them. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. It's, it's the fruit. It's the signs of life. And let me encourage you here. It's not the great degree of fruits that we're looking for, but just the real fruits. So to use the analogy of wind again, you can have a breeze that is as much wind as a hurricane, isn't it? It's the same thing. So let's go through some of these marks. How can I know? And I hope that this is something you're all asking yourselves this morning. How can I know that I am born again? How can I know that I am truly converted? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? That's why I read from 1 John. Because 1 John, he just gives us signs. These are the signs of the true. These are the signs of the fake. A fake can look like the real thing, can't they? I remember once paying for petrol, and I paid, this is going back many years, because I was paying five pounds, I paid with a fake five pound note, and they had this scanner in the garage, and they could detect that it was a fake. I didn't see it as a fake. It looked exactly like the real thing, but it wasn't. Now, what is the scanner of the Word of God going to show up in you and me? So let's go under the scanner just for a bit and then we'll be finished. And if you can leave this meeting knowing that you're born again, you'll be able to worship then, won't you? Because <laughs> you know you're going into the kingdom. So what's the first sign? Let me give you a sign. This is 1 John 3, 9. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Oh man, you say. That's me done for. We've all committed sin, haven't we? Hang on. John also said, and this was our reading, if anyone says they have not sinned, they lie. 
So, what is it not to commit sin? So, the first mark, what I'm calling this is repentance. Do you know what repentance means? Incidentally, when people are converted in Eastern Europe, they are not said to be converted, but to repent. What does the word repent mean? The essence of repentance is to turn. It's to have a change of mind, not like a superficial change of mind, uh, like changing my mind as to uh, what I want to eat for breakfast. It's a profound change of mentality. It's being born again. So think now. There is the seed of what? Not just the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit planted in me. There's the old nature, the sinful nature. Even if we're religious, like Nicodemus, we're still sinners. There's still this bent toward sin. But how do I know if there's a new nature in me? How do I know if there's the seed of the Spirit in me? Well, it is this. He's the Holy Spirit. And so the bent, the bias, the tendency of this new nature isn't toward sin. It's toward righteousness, toward God. So the first sign, and this is always an encouraging sign, is do I hate sin for being sin? So it's not just me now wanting to escape hell. That can drive me to the Savior, and there's nothing wrong with that. But do I hate sin for what it is, the exceeding sinfulness of sin? Is there something repugnant in sin? Do I say, oh, it's only a small one? Or do I see this is sin, this is obnoxious to God? It doesn't mean that I am perfect, far from it. The more aware we are of our own sin, the more we will see ourselves as sinners. So that's the first sign. What, what, what's your attitude toward sin? If you don't hate sin, you're not born again. I don't care how spectacular your conversion experience is. I'm not asking if you're not falling into sin. You will fall into sin. We will fall into sin until we leave this world behind. But do you hate it? Have you ever mourned for sin? Have you ever kind of beaten yourself for falling again into sin. How stupid of me, falling again. I hate this sin, I hate it. The second sign, 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You can see why this follows repentance. Repent and believe. You don't repent first and then believe. They are together, like two sides of a coin. So if I'm repenting, it's a believing repentance. If I'm believing, it's a repentance faith. What is this? Well, repentance is turning. What am I turning to? I'm turning away from sin. I hate it. I don't want to have anything to do with it, even though I go back to it. But I'm turning to some, not something, somebody, Jesus Christ. Notice, it's not believing in his existence. It's not just believing that he came into the world to save sinners. The devils believe that and tremble. What is saving faith? The essence of saving faith is abandonment. What is saving faith? Saving faith is trust. I'm 
putting my whole weight on Jesus Christ to save me from sin. And you know what? They go together. I hate sin, but I love the Savior. To those of you who believe, he is. What does Peter say? And didn't Peter know this? How many times Peter had fallen. But Peter came to realize he is. I can't hear. Precious. Is he precious to you this morning? You know you're a sinner. But you know Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. And you love him. There's a Welsh hymn which says, I'll translate. The name of Calvary was once nothing to me, contempt. But now it's everything. Now Very well, let's hurry through these. I haven't got much time. There's repentance, there is faith. And then there's humility. Listen to Jesus Christ. Unless you are converted and become like little children, you cannot even enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean being childish. It doesn't mean that. It's childlikeness. Jesus started his magnificent sermon on the mount with the words, happy are you if you are poor in spirit. Doesn't it make sense if I see myself as a sinner that I can't save myself, but praise be to God, he has sent Jesus, his only son, to be the propitiation for my sin, dying on the cross, taking the punishment for my sin. I don't have a high view of myself now, do I? (laughs) You know, we've got a wrong idea of humility. You've read David Copperfield, haven't you? Charles Dickens' his great novel, that character, Uriah Heep. Uriah Heep was forever going on about how humble he was. I'm so humble, I'm humble. That's not humility. True humility doesn't draw attention to its humility. It draws attention to how big a saviour Jesus Christ is, how small I am, how big he is. Wasn't that a great children's song? He's big. I'm coming as a sinner. I have no other name, but I thank him. Even though I'm broken, a broken and a contrite spirit, God will not despise. And he will not break the bruised reed. Aren't you glad of that? You may say to me, Pastor, I don't know if I am born again. Do you know you're a sinner? Yes, you say. I know I'm a sinner. Do you hate sin? Yes, I hate sin. If only I could live a holy life. Are you turning to Jesus Christ and are you forsaking sin and bowing the knee to him as your Lord and trusting in him as your Savior? And you say, yes, I am. Then I say, what's wrong then? It sounds to me as if the Holy Spirit is already at work. The next sign, repentance, faith, humility. What's the next sign? Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? When Ananias, godly Ananias, heard from the Lord that he had to go to Saul of Tarsus' house in Damascus to lay hands on him, he said, Lord, it's a trap. It's a trap. You don't know who he is, as if God didn't know. (laughs) We sometimes say that to God, don't we, in prayer? We tell God what he already knows. God, he's a persecutor. He's trapping me. No, God says. 
you know what God said? Behold, he prayeth. Now, we're not thinking of saying our prayers. Nicodemus would have said his long, eloquent, theologically correct prayers. That's not what we're talking about. I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? Saul of Tarsus would have done the same thing. But now he's praying. What was he doing? I'm sure he was crying from his heart. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Have you ever prayed that prayer? That's one of the best prayers in the whole of the Bible. Another one, help, Lord Peter was sinking in the waves. And all he could cry out was, save, Lord, help. Do you know what the most eloquent prayer is? It's also the shortest prayer. Oh, have you ever prayed that? A groan. Oh. And then I'm winding down here. Love. 1 John 4, 7. Everyone who loves is born of God. Listen, this is not Beatlesque love. All you need is love. All you need is lust. That's not what we're talking about. This is agape. Holy Spirit love. It wasn't there before. But now, Jesus has come into my heart. And there is this love. Now, let me just close by telling you what this love is like. I've already hinted at one thing. I love Jesus. I didn't love him before. I may have known about him. I may have uh, believed in a mental ascent kind of way. But now I love him. I really do. I wish my love was greater, but I do love him. Without him, I'm lost. But then there's love towards God's word. I didn't love this before. Indeed, I considered the word before as something that I was uh, bound to, as a heavy yoke. But now I find his commandments are not grievous because I love the Holy Spirit is giving me a desire for the things of God so so I love the commands of God I don't love rules human rules that is but I love the law of God because there is a harmony isn't there between the Holy Spirit who is the author of the word of God and the Holy Spirit who's given me a new nature and whatever the Holy Spirit's delights in in the word of God I delight in the new nature delights in it has to be breathe on me Lord even more breath of God fill me with life anew that I may love what you thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do I love the people of God now even a shy person like me can say that when I was first converted I had doubts as to whether I was saved, because I wasn't the kind of, you know, touchy, feely, extroverty type of person. And I thought I didn't love the people of God. But there's nothing wrong if that's you. We're all unique. And there are introverts here, there are extroverts. Grace doesn't change our personalities. It just transforms them. But the love of the brethren is this... How can you put it? It's this spiritual attraction, isn't it? It's the spiritual chemistry. Don't you find that 
if a person is of a different age to you, if a person is of a different nationality to you, if a person has different interests to you, if a person is of a different temperament to you, all of those things should put you off the person. But this love, this filial love, there's a bond that is stronger than all those things. And we love the things of God. We love not just prayer, singing God's praises. We love sitting under the word. We love a day to give to these things, don't we? We've forgotten what Sunday's supposed to be about. It's not about not doing certain things. It's about what we do. Resurrection day. I, I like the testimony of one young person. Uh, they came to church, and after uh, a few months, they were converted. And they were interviewed, either about baptism or membership. I can't remember. And they said to the pastor and elders, I can't believe how much this church has changed within the last few months. This is what they said. The hymns are so lively now. The worship is really wonderful. And even the preacher has got better. Nothing had changed in the church. It's the outlook, it's the heart of the person that had changed. Well, I've got to finish there. What, what I want to ask you as I conclude is not how can you be born again. Only God can make you born again. But are you born again? Can you see marks of spiritual life? I'm not thinking of the degree of the reality, rather, I'm thinking. Are these marks there in you? And isn't the Sunday a day to be invested in? I want to make the most of Sunday. I want it to be a day when it comes to the things of God, when I'm to thrive. I know I'm still serving God the rest of the week, but today I want to make the most of this day. I, I, I just want to be in God's house morning and evening. We've got an after meeting tonight. Do, do you know what the after meeting tonight is going to be? It's going to be a happy evening. Noson Lawen, we call it in Welsh. That's how the evangelical movement of Wales started. It started with a happy evening. I'll tell you about that tonight. Do you, do you think of a meeting not as something I've got to go to, but as something I want? I want to be in the house of God. I want to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to sing God's praises. I want to hear his word preached. Pastor, I want you to give me more of these things, not less. When we have people come to us from overseas, especially from countries like India and Moldova, they can't believe how short our services are. They think they've been shortchanged. Oh, would to God that that would be our attitude. Pastor, I want a feast. May our Sundays be banqueting days. 
And like they used to do in the Isle of Lewis, may we not want the day to end. You know, they used to go back after the evening service, after an after meeting. Maybe they would have an after-after meeting in people's homes. And I know there was a move of the spirits, but they would be up till the early hours, just relishing talking about the things of God. Don't you love doing that, even if you're older? (laughs) I've got to finish here. But we sang it as an introit, didn't we? Uh, before the evening service but let me just quote a few lines from it is this you is this me we love the place oh god where in thine honor dwells the joy of thine abode all earthly joy excels i'd rather be in your house lord than be in the stadium watching a sporting events or listening to a concert we love the word of life The word that tells of peace. I love reading. I love reading all sorts of books. But this book is different, isn't it? The words that tells of peace, of comfort in the strife and joy that never cease. And I love to sing below. I love music. Don't you love music? But there's something else about the singing of God's praises. There's something angelic about it, isn't there? In times of revival, they've heard angels singing. Oh, may God lift our singing so that it becomes heavenly. We love to sing below for mercies freely given. And no angel can sing of a redeemer because they can only know God as creator. But we can sing of him as our redeemer. And we love to sing of mercy freely given. But oh, we long to know the triumph song of heaven. One day we're going to be in that big congregation. (laughs) May we just have foretastes of that. Let me finish there. I've gone on for too long.